Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. Uh, time now to shine a spotlight on China. And we're talking about U.S.-China relations in particular because a U.S. general caused some concern when he sent a memo warning that the United States could go to war with China in two years' time. I'm talking about General Mike Minihan, who heads the Air Mobility Command, wrote a memo that was supposed to be sent to the leadership of its roughly 110,000 members. And it was sent out on Friday. It's dated the 1st of February. So that's... Uh, potential implications of that memo is something that I'll be discussing with Dr. Chong Jia-yen, who is Associate Professor of Political Science, National University of Singapore, and non-resident fellow for Carnegie China. Good morning, Dr. Chong. Good morning. So let's talk about that memo that was sent out, definitely raising alarms when you write so strongly that the United States could go to war with China in the year 2025. Let's talk about the kind of signals and implications of that so far, Doctor. Now, firstly, it's a leaked memo. It wasn't a public statement. So we have to put that in context, right? So as a military person, they're responsible for planning and whatever contingencies that follow. So how I see the memo is a planning for a possible contingency, which um, the the general thinks would come as early as uh, 2025. We've seen from the Chinese side preparations and exercises as well. Um, I don't think that means that they are going to go to war anytime soon, but they certainly are making preparations. That's what militaries do. Mm. What happens where the rest of Asia is concerned? I mean, we can't just sit back and be observers uh, in that sense? So I guess one of the things is to convey the uncertainty and the cost, right, of any sort of move towards uh, violence or the mass use of force. I mean, that's, I suppose, for countries in the neighborhood, what we can do, although I think ultimately for these sorts of things, the decision lies in Washington and Beijing. All right. Then there's the issue of Taiwan. There is, of course, continued fears of a potential war, potential conflict there. That seems to have ebbed since uh, President Biden and Xi met in Bali last November. Now, how do you see the new Republican-led Congressional Committee as a, a fresh challenge to these efforts to sort of tamper down relationships or tamper down tensions, I should say? So I think uh, the issue of Taiwan, whether there is any use of force, that's a choice that Beijing can make. Now, I think ultimately, at the moment, there is a attempt by both sides to keep what that Washington calls guardrails on that relationship to make sure it doesn't um, get into any greater trouble to try to manage uh, tensions. There are fundamental differences between the two sides where the Republican-led House Senate is still Democratic, uh, comes in and the new committee, uh, China committee comes in, is that they may be putting more scrutiny on the Biden administration and that may reduce some of the leeway that the administration has, the executive branch has in terms of seeking compromise, seeking uh, accommodation. But I think a lot will come down to how the executive branch and the legislative branch argue things out. Mm, yeah, that's always going to be, there's always going to be that risk of conflict uh, with regard to this uh, situation. Still on U.S.-China relationships, the chip war is obviously something that, uh, you know, you can't ignore. The latest we're hearing is that the Biden administration is considering cutting off Huawei from all its American suppliers. Not the first time. Will we see this turn into a bit of a tit for tat? What kind of potential other implications could come out of it? Now, there are two uh, things that come immediately to mind. Uh, one, of course, is that I think the Chinese side has been talking about 
limits or, or further regulations on the solar stuff in response to uh, U.S. restrictions on, on chips and their technology firms. So we could see a bit of a tit for tat that could create some instability in, in the markets. Of course, that will also have a secondary effect right, on the neighborhood and other um, players who are in that supply chain because companies uh, will be put in a position where they have to decide whether they want to split their operations into a China side and, and a U.S. side. And that's sort of what some companies have been doing given China pushing their internal circulation and the U.S. going uh, uh, their sort of route to uh, protect their high-tech industries. Or they have to figure out may- maybe there's one market that means more to them uh, than the other. And at any rate, there needs to be some way that I think companies and uh, large countries have to figure out how they want to insulate themselves from what could be quite an expensive tip for tap between Washington and Beijing. All right. Uh, Dr. Chong, let's turn our attention to China's domestic leadership. A bit of a shake-up where Beijing appointed new chairs for its top provisional, provincial uh, political advisory bodies. 30 of them are born in the 1960s and are able to serve full five-year terms before retirement. So it kind of departs from the previous norms where the top regional roles in the CPPCC and the National People's Congress were reserved for leading uh, provisional um, Communist Party officials who are about to reach their time and a retirement age of 65. What's the signal here? They're going younger. They're looking more long-term. Uh, China's quite famous for their, you know, uh, five-year, 15-year plan type of thing. So I think part of this is reflective of Xi Jinping's consolidation of power. He's more comfortable with having people serve a longer period of time. I think we can, with the CPPCC, the, this is the political consultative committee, I think uh, she probably is going to put a little bit more emphasis on them uh, than previously was the case. I mean, it seems that uh, the Politburo setting uh, committee number four, this is Wang Huning, the, I guess, uh, chief ideology person uh, in the CCP, is, uh, has been moved into the CPPCC. This is in line with uh, what Xi Jinping had talked about during his uh, work report over the 20th uh, Party Congress, where he talked about increasing United Front work, which, which, which would get us more sort of penetration and outreach uh, toward uh, minority groups in China, but also uh, various groups outside of China as China tries to entrench its role uh, globally. All right. I've been speaking with uh, Dr. Chong Jia Yin, who is Associate Professor of Political Science, National University of Singapore and non-resident fellow for Carnegie China. Uh, Dr. Chong, I do appreciate your time this morning. You take and have a great day ahead. Thanks a lot. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.